people. It was the job of the lowest servant. It was the job of the lowest servant of the house, the lowest slave in the house. It was their job to wash the feet. You see, the disciples were sitting around the table, and I imagine that their conversations was going something a little along the lines of, why hasn't anybody washed our feet? I mean, they're, they're grimy and they're dirty and they're caked with mud. And how come nobody's washed our feet yet? Where's the servant? Where's the slave to wash our feet? Well, I'm not going to wash the feet. <laughs> oh, no way. I've been walking all day. I'm tired. I'm beat. I'm exhausted. I, I don't want to wash anyone's feet. And so they're, they're sitting there looking at each other, just wondering who in the world is going to wash the feet And we read in John 13 that someone, in fact, did get up to wash the feet. The master goes over to the basin and to the jar, and he takes water, and he pours it into a basin. And he grabs a towel, and he wraps it around himself after taking out his outer garment. And then he proceeds to take the basin over to his disciples And he washes their feet. Hands that carved out canyons. Hands that carved out oceans. Hands that crafted stars. Were now washing the grimy, muddy, dirty feet of his disciples. These hands massaged and rubbed and scrubbed the feet of the one who would deny knowing him three times. These hands scrubbed and washed the feet gently of the man who would lead his, uh, the ones who crucified him to him in betrayal. Jesus' hands washed the dirty, mud-filled, grimy feet of Peter and of Judas. And even of Thomas, the one who doubted his resurrection just a few days later. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He scrubbed their feet. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Again, this was the job of the lowest servant, the lowest slave in the house. And yet, here is the one, God in the flesh, who put on flesh and bone who gave up the glories of heaven and the riches of heaven and the adoration of angels to to do what? To bow before his disciples and to wash their feet. Why? Why would he do this? It was to set them an example. In John 13, 15, in John 13, 15, Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do As I have done for you. I have set you an example that you should do. As I have done for you. This morning we are continuing in our sermon series. Our new series called It's Not About Me. And we're talking about passages of scripture. That really tell us what life is really all about. And they tell us that life truly is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about something greater. It's about something more important than just ourselves. Last week we looked at John chapter 3, verse 30, which says, He must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist was testifying as to the identity of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who came to suffer and die for our sins. 
And he said, John the Baptist said that Jesus must increase and that John the Baptist must decrease. You could have subtitled last week's sermon, which was called The Equation. You could have subtitled it, it's, out, it's about Jesus, it's not about me. Well, today's message is our great big attitude problem. But you could subtitle it, it's about serving others, it's not about me. Because, you see, it's not about washing feet. It really isn't. Kind of. It's not about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It's not about washing Peter's feet. It's not even washing the Apostle Paul's feet. No, rather, this sermon is about you, and it's about me. It's about us. And it's about the ways that we can serve others. The ways that God can use us in his service for his kingdom. It's about how we see ourselves, and it's about how we see others. Today we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, if you could grab your Bible and turn to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, or if you are going to use the Bible in front of you and the pew in front of you, it's on page 831, and uh, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Um, you can also turn to the inside page of your bulletin. And there you will find a place to take notes for this morning's sermon. Some of you have told me that you missed the HDO. It may come back. We'll see. Thanks for that. Let's read in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, Paul does not doubt the effects of knowing Jesus in verse 1. He does, he does not doubt that there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. He does not doubt that there is any comfort in his love. He does not doubt uh, that there is fellowship with the Spirit. He does not doubt that they have tenderness and compassion. He doesn't doubt these things. In fact, in the Greek, it's probably better that we translate the word if as the word since. Rather than saying if you have any of these things, rather it's, it's kind of better to say since you have these things. That when you come to a relationship with Jesus... When you begin to have a relationship with him, when you put your faith and trust in him and by God's grace are saved, when you uh, repent from sin and uh, confess your faith and are baptized, uh, when these things happen, then these other byproducts happen. The, what happens to you is that you, you begin to have uh, encouragement and comfort and fellowship with the Spirit and you have um, tenderness and compassion these things become become more natural to us and so he's saying that since you have encouragement from being united with christ since you have comfort from his love since you have fellowship with the spirit and since you have tenderness and compassion then i want you to do something for me paul says i want you to do me a favor this is what you can do for me you can have the same mind you can have unity in spirit. You can have unity in heart. You can have unity in soul and in mind and in purpose. That was his greatest desire was that the Philippians would have unity with one another. In fact, it would make Paul joyful. He would rejoice 
because they had unity. That's exactly what Paul wanted. Now, how is that possible? How can you take a diverse group of people living in uh, a, a different place, but how can you take a diverse group of people with different baggage and, and all kinds of stuff and, and have them be unified? How can you have them be united? The same thing could be asked of us. How can we as a church have unity? When we all come from different backgrounds, we have different ethnicities, we have different genders, we have different ages, we have different experiences, and we're a, a big diverse group of people, we've got different things that we struggle with, we have different issues in our lives, and we're all so different. How can we be unified? How can we have unity? Well, Paul tells us in verses 3 and 4 how that's possible. Look at uh, verses 3 and 4 one more time. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how is it possible to have this kind of unity? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't be self-centered. Don't be selfish. Consider others more important than yourself. Put the needs of others before your own wants. Put the needs of others before your own desires. Put the needs of others before the wants and desires of the self. And again, how is this possible? I mean, let's face it, we're a pretty self-centered people. It kind of comes naturally to us, right? Even from when we're little. I want, I want, I want. I've heard that enough. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want, I want, I want. It's all about me. But it's not. So how is this possible? How can we overcome selfish ambition? How can we overcome vain conceit, this idea that the world revolves around me? Look at verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, do you see what Paul says about him? That even though he was God, God in the flesh, he emptied himself of himself and he went to a cross and suffered and died on our behalf. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what that means is, is something to be clutched, something to be uh, held on to tightly. In other words, he let it go. His equality with God the Father, he let it go so that he could come to earth and be the sacrifice for our sins. So he could come to earth and suffer and die for us. He let go of that equality. He let go of the glory of heaven. He let go of the adoration of angels. He let go of all of that. Why? So he could come to earth. And what did he do? He came to be a servant. He came to serve others. He, he washed the feet of disciples. That is Jesus. That is what he did. And Paul says in verse 5 that we should have the same attitude. That we should be living lives of sacrifice and service for others. Because Jesus served us in our greatest need. What is your greatest need? You may think, well, I need a new car. Or I need a new house. Or I need a new job. Or I need new clothes. Your greatest need is the need of a Savior. Someone who gave their lives for you. Someone who gave his life for you so that you could be forgiven. So that you could go to heaven. Jesus died as the substitute 
for sinners like us. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took the punishment in himself on the cross when he suffered and died at anguish uh, and torment and torturous death that he took for us. He died in our place and God raised him on the third day. He didn't stay dead. They buried him in the ground, but Jesus came back to life just as he said he would. He said that God the Father would raise him on the third day and sure enough, God raised him from the dead on the third day and Jesus is alive and he's coming back. Look at verses 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, whether willingly or unwillingly, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory and praise of God the Father. Everyone will see him when he comes and returns on the clouds in power and glory. Every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a great story in the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, chapter 9, we read about the disciples. Look at at this with me. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. The disciples didn't get it. It reminds me of that AT&T commercial that's out right now. Maybe you've seen it. The kid's sitting around the table and the one goes, knock, knock. Queen. Queen my dishes, please. You know the one I'm talking about? And then there's the little kid, a couple of seats over, goes, it's clean. And the, the AT&T guy looks at the other kid and goes, he doesn't get it. The disciples, they didn't get it. Here they are, walking on the road, right, towards Capernaum, and they start fighting with each other. He likes me best. What are you talking about? Bartholomew? Your name's barely going to be in the Bible. Thaddeus? No way. I'm John, the beloved disciple. Oh, yeah, well, I'm Peter. He said he's going to give me the keys to the kingdom. Really? What about me? I'm James. You know, me and Jesus, we're tight. We're close. I am the greatest. And so they're bickering and they're fighting with each other. Will you stop touching me? I'm the greatest. I'm the most important. I'm the best. They love me. He loves me most. And so they're fighting with each other over who's the most important, who is the greatest, who is the greatest among his disciples. And Jesus, he may be walking 10, 15 feet ahead of him. He knows what they're fighting about. And they get to the house. He's like, so guys, what were you talking about on the road back there? And they're like, uh, how about the bears? And maybe not. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And what does Jesus tell them? If you want to be the first, 
you've got to be the very last. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant of everyone. The servant of all. They just didn't get it. The disciples had a little bit of an attitude problem. So do we. You know, we figure we got this whole Christian thing figured out. I got this Christian thing figured out. I know what to do. I go to church on Sunday. I go to a pastor appreciation potluck. Please stay for the potluck today. We're going to have a good time. I, I read my Bible every once in a while. I know where it's, at least I know where it is. I pray before my meals and I pray at night before I go to bed. And, and you know, and, and I wear my GFCC t-shirt. Looks good. Green brings out the color of my eyes. And I feel good about my church thing. And I, and I got this church thing and I'm doing okay with that. And I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track and I, I know what's going on and, and I know how to be a Christian. But the problem is we have a great big attitude problem. And the problem is this verse. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Total honesty, how many of us could say this about ourselves? That I have the attitude that Jesus had. That I have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the servant of all. Are you the servant of all? <laughs> are, are we even servants at all? Do we serve anybody other than ourselves? Because that's what it means to have the attitude, the same attitude as Jesus Christ, is to be the servant of everyone. That everyone else is more important than me. Everyone else is more important than me. Think back to verse 1 for a minute. Look at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, you know what those are? Those are the marks of a mature Christian. Those are the marks of somebody who understands what this is really all about. This is the, the, the hallmarks of a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, a fully surrendered, fully devoted follower of Jesus. This is somebody who really gets it, who really understands. They have a good understanding of who Jesus is and why Jesus came and what it means to be a fully surrendered follower of his. This is not your typical Sunday morning only Christian. All right, this is not your knock, knock, who's there, queen, queen, who, queen, my dishes, he don't get it kind of thing. This is somebody who really gets it. This is, somebody who doesn't under, this is someone who understands that Jesus didn't come to give us a Burger King church. And you're like, that is an obscure reference. What does that mean? You know what it means? It means that Jesus didn't come so that you could have it your way. Remember Burger King? You can have it your way. You don't want pickles on your burger? You don't have to have pickles on your burger. You don't want onions on your burger? Good choice. Don't put onions on your burger. You want extra ketchup or mayonnaise? You can do that. Bacon? How many of you want bacon on your burger? You got some bacon fans. That's right. But you can have it your way. Jesus didn't come. And Jesus didn't die so that you could have it your way. This is not about me. And it's not about you. It's not about us. You and me, we are not the most important person. The church 
doesn't revolve around you and it doesn't revolve around me. It's not about my desires or my wants or my preferences or my opinions. It's not about your wants, your desires, your preferences, your opinions. It's not why Jesus died. It is not the example that he set for us. He gave us the example of putting others first and putting ourselves last. Putting others' needs before our own. He says, Paul says, each of you should look not only to your own interests. He doesn't mean to completely forget about, you know, taking care of your family. I mean, he, he understands we have needs and we got to provide for those needs. But we don't put our wants and our desires and our preferences and the things that I want and I want and I want before what other people need. This is not about us. This church, this whole church thing, it's not, like I said, it's not a Burger King church. It's not what you want. It's not what I want. It's what Jesus wants. What does Jesus want? He wants people to have a relationship with him. He wants Jesus to, uh, he wants people to know him and to have a relationship with him. In Philippians, look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. What can we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? What does he say? What can we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Nothing. We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are to do nothing out of selfishness or self-centeredness. Because it's not about us. We have to consider others better than ourselves. We serve Jesus first and then we serve those around us. We serve Jesus first and then those around us. If you are not living your life in the service of Jesus and others, then you are wasting your life. You are wasting the life that God gave you. You are wasting the life that Jesus died for. If you are not living your life, you can write this down. This one's free. If you are not living your life in the service of Jesus and others, then you are wasting your life. God didn't give you a life to please yourself. We have to be like Jesus and have the attitude of a servant. That's what it says in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's, how our, that's what our attitude should be like. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, look at this verse. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself didn't come to be served. And he could have been. He should have been. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. Everyone should have been waiting on him hand and feet. What can I get for you, Jesus? Need a glass of water? Can I wash your feet? How about some fresh clothes? Are you hungry? What can I do for you, Jesus? But he said, I didn't even come to do that. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life for everybody. That's the attitude that we should have. Not the people who are sitting around waiting on us, hand and foot, going, what can I get for you? What can I do for you? Can I do anything for you? No, it should be the opposite. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And we can, when, we are, when we're a church, when we're a church that has this attitude of everyone's more important than me, and, and my life is lived in the service of others and I need to serve other people. And, and I, we look for opportunities to serve. That is a church that makes Jesus proud. That is a church that Jesus looks at and goes, that's what it's all about. A church of love and service. That we're serving everybody, not expecting to be served ourselves. So what does this look like? What does this look like for you and me? It means we need to start seeing things in a different light. We need to start seeing things differently. First of all, we see people in a different light. You know, sometimes we look at people, and people are annoying. 
Am I right? I'm annoying. I know it. I own it. Or people are a nuisance. You know, people can be annoying and people can be, why did that jerk cut me off in traffic? What's wrong with these people? How come nobody knows how to drive it? Nobody knows. Uh, annoyance, nu- nuisance right here, okay? Go to the bank and somebody's trying to refinance their mortgage through the drive through lane. What is going on up there? What are you doing? I have one check to deposit. It takes 15 seconds. My girl Ashley at the bank knows exactly what to do. And you are trying to mortgage your, your house. You're pulling out a second mortgage on your house in the drive through lane. They have, it's, you can go inside and do that. I'm the only one, right? No? Goodness. Sorry about that. I think my battery's dying. I think that's the problem. <laughs> Please forgive me. Um, we need to see people in a different light. People are made. People, everyone, we're all made in the image of God. People are made in the image of God. People, these are people for whom Jesus died. Jesus died for the whole world. He died for everybody. He died for you. He died for me. He died for everyone. People are not annoying. Well, they can be, but people are not a nuisance. They are not a bother. People are special, and and God made them special, and, and God wants nothing more than to have a relationship with them through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our job is to serve them. And to love them into God's kingdom. So that they will grow. We can grow more people into better disciples of Jesus. Because if we don't spread the gospel. If we don't tell them about Jesus. Who will? No one. That's our job. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to tell them about his wonderful love. And his amazing grace. Who's going to tell them how to have a relationship with Christ. By believing in him. And repenting. And confessing their faith. And being baptized. Who's going to tell them about that? We need to see people in a different light. We need to see the church in a different light. A church, this church, our church, it's not a social club for members. It's not what we are. We're not a social club. We are a place of service where others are more important than ourselves. Where people can come and they can hear the good news in a safe, loving environment where we can serve them. And people will know that they are loved and they are accepted by a God who sent his son to die for them. We need to see our time, our talent, and our treasure in a different light. God's blessings of time and God's blessings of talent and treasure are to be used to serve others, to volunteer in a ministry that helps other people and makes more and better disciples, to use our talents to serve other people so that they will have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and how he died for them. We need to use our money and our resources to serve those who have needs. The blessings we've been given, the blessings we have, are not for our own comfort and not for our own pleasure. We are blessed so that we can serve and we can be a blessing. We need a change of attitude. We need a change of attitude. Because we've got a great big attitude problem in thinking that the whole world revolves around us. We need a we need an attitude adjustment. That's what my mom always used to say. You need an attitude adjustment. Mostly she said it when I was in high school. And she was right. Because I did need an attitude adjustment. I still do. Because it's too easy to fall back into the selfish ambition. It's too easy to fall back into the vain conceit. It's too easy to fall back into the idea that, well, this is really all about me. Life is about me. Church is about me. Everything's about me, which is really weird to say on Pastor Appreciation Day, but you know what I mean. Because it's all about me. No, 
But it's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. We need, a, we need the servant attitude of Christ. We need that attitude adjustment. We need the servant attitude of Christ, not the sinful attitude of self. Let me say that one more time. We need the servant attitude of Christ, not the sinful attitude of self. In Matthew 23, 11 and 12, Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If we will humble ourselves, and we will become servants on earth, we will be honored and rewarded in heaven. And the key, the key to understanding the attitude of Christ in this life is to really begin to understand that it's not about me. Father God, help us to have that attitude adjustment, to see others as you see them, that we are to be servants of, the, of everyone, that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Help us to fulfill these words of Paul in the book of Philippians, that we would serve others, that we would love others, and that we would share the good news with others that our lives would be so focused on serving Jesus and serving others that we don't have time for ourselves. But rather, we let you take care of us. We let you provide for our needs. We let you take care of us, God. So help us to have this attitude adjustment and to have the attitude and the mind of Christ who was the servant of all. And now he is exalted, reigning in power and glory at, the right, at your right hand. And we know that there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.